0: Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey friends and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast. How are we feeling about the friends intro? Uh, If you have other suggestions let me know, I like it. Yeah, I feel I feel we're friends. Um, maybe it's one-sided. Who knows? <laughs> but hey, if you're tuning in again, um, there's obviously some reason for it. How are you doing this Wednesday? I'm doing good. One of the the things that has been on my mind, uh, mostly because of recording a a fab conversation about work-life balance, which uh, often <laughs> on a lot of our minds something coming out in the new year, and at the moment. Working from home for some of us that are lucky enough to still be in that position of being able to, ugh, those boundaries <laughs> can get uh, quite blurred. But not only the work life balance have I been thinking about, but the general, I guess, well being balance. So, I well, how do I like to think about well being? When we did our well being. Uh, event conference type thing Uh, we did four pillars of well-being physical emotional mental and spiritual I was having a look today and there are models that have different four eight dimensions of well-being I mean I think there's so many ways to conceptualize it you could go old school like body mind soul but well-being balance I think and this was something actually when someone oh my god someone (laughs) Might have been Jen Amos actually. Okay, anyway, fab speakers all round. So thank you to everyone that participated in that. Ugh. Um, let's see time, time, and my mind go. Whew. Um, anyway, someone. <laughs> this isn't my idea. Someone else's idea was talking about self care and all the different dimensions of self care and how actually we can think we are doing self care when we are, for example exercising loads so we're thinking about our physical self-care maybe in that in that area but actually we might be neglecting those other areas of self-care and actually having a balance so thinking about kind of maybe across the week kind of hitting all these different ones am I doing something for my spiritual well-being whether that is meditation or prayer or whatever it looks like for you am I doing something on a social level so kind of connecting to loved ones having a hug having those conversations whatever it looks like um checking in with my feelings and maybe journaling am I being physically healthy am I getting enough sleep and nutrition am I I don't know reading a good book or or whatever it looks like to you but kind of hitting lots of different areas of self-care and I sometimes and actually some of these might not be self-care things they might actually be numbing behaviors where I'm kind of zoning out Um, And you know, that classic binge watching stuff, or mindless scrolling. I've put in a couple of parental locks on my phone so I can't spend too long on certain sites that really are just, I I enjoy them ish, but they're just a drain of my time, really. And I can get sucked into them and don't get a huge amount out of them. But I've been trying to get a bit more balance over this week. So for the last few weeks, I have been binge watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, It is amazing if you haven't seen it in my personal opinion. Um, It's something I watched first time around when it came out, Buffy and Angel. I would kind of remember me and my brother and my sister kind of lying in our our parents' room watching, because we had Sky upstairs and downstairs, and so we'd be upstairs, they'd be downstairs watching, I don't know, adult shows, and we'd watch Buffy and Angel. So quite fond memories. And Buffy, I feel, is such such a great show. Uh, Even like 20-odd years later, I think it does... Really, a lot of it stand up, although every time there's a computer, it's hilarious because <laughs> they're so different and they have pages, maybe, but obviously no mobile phones. But the kind of the the feel of it and that Buffy is this amazingly strong, capable chosen one, um, but still has those doubts in her own ability she still has those concerns about relationships and friendships and and she's not afraid to be vulnerable even though she is so strong and she has this just amazing balance of those two sides of, of her character and I just think she's fab um and I'm I'm re-watching it but I'd sort of got into watching so much of it that some of the other things that I really enjoy that are really good for my well-being kind of neglected so not working out because I'm just watching stuff Um, we're not reading because I'm just watching stuff so (laughs) what I've been trying to do for myself this week is find some balance to allow myself to watch Buffy and to uh, have time to read and time to do yoga Uh, I've been doing the yoga with Adrian 30 day challenge through November which is amazing Um, I love yoga with Adrian on YouTube I've kind of come back to her a few times and not really got very far on the 30 day and I'm To be honest, a couple of days behind, but um, it is amazing so far. And I'm feeling really so much more connected to my body. Um, I'd sort of, even though I'm a yoga instructor, um, a non-practicing yoga instructor, I guess at the moment, I'm feeling kind of out of my body, if that makes sense. So having this focus and really feeling much more connected with myself, finding some balance, still allowing myself the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, also, I have been watching uh, on BBC iPlayer, if you're able to access it, Hell on Wales. Also recommend about the Tiger Bay Brawling roller derby team. I used to play roller derby, feeling very nostalgic watching it and kind of contemplating getting back to it. Anyway, that's just kind of what I've been thinking about, finding balance. So not cutting out those things that you enjoy, but just trying to have a balance of different areas of well-being. Are you nurturing kind of all areas of yourself, your spiritual side, your emotional side, social, etc, etc, equally or maybe not equally, but considering all of them. So for yourself, I would encourage you to maybe check in and think about how you're doing across whatever domains of yourself you can think of, mind, body, soul, social, emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, probably listed all those multiple times but checking in with how you're doing and if you are just how balanced you're feeling really in those areas um I think it's a it's good to kind of check in with how you're feeling and to think about where you are feeling that you want to put more attention and thinking about what that looks like for you so that's me (laughs) that's my my thought of the week Uh, in a really, really long winded way. So today's episode, this one (laughs) was recorded in the first lockdown. And um, I checked in with uh, Tori the other day and we were saying who would have thought in the first lockdown that this would be coming out in a second one. Um, But uh, yes, this was, uh, Tori is someone that I had connected with during the first lockdown we'd had a few kind of conversations and then yeah, sat down and Tori really graciously shared her story and um and her experience with us and um I really want to thank her for for coming and sharing so graciously with us in this episode and we cover so much um and I really do hope that you enjoy this episode so let's dive in and I will be back super quickly afterwards Hi everyone, I'm really really happy to welcome this week's guest Tori to the podcast. So Tori could you introduce yourself to the listeners and
1: tell us a little bit about you? Of course, thanks Hannah and it's a real pleasure to speak to you today. Um, So my name's Tori, I'm 45 but I don't feel it. Um, I'm originally from the southeast of England but I've lived most of my life overseas so Latin America, Europe and most of my life in Australia and something happened to me health-wise probably eight or nine years ago that turned my world upside down and um, basically the last seven or so years I've been back living in my childhood bedroom so at the moment I can't sort of introduce myself as I do this for a job or I am a mother or anything like that but um, I have definitely um, you know feel like I've got um, a lot of things that are about me that maybe are just not easy to sum up in one or two descriptive nouns. Mm.
0: And I think we're going to get into your um, your experience and you said about your health and what happened to you and um, and really share that. And it's one of the things I love about the podcast is having a space where people can share their story, basically. Because I think there's something really powerful in yeah. hearing other people's stories that it can really help us with things that are going on in our own life. So I, um, I think people get a lot out of yeah. this. So... I don't know where you want to start
1: or we could just dive in with (laughs) your story. Um, Well, listen, well, I'll just give a a little bit of background. So I first suffered from a mental illness around the age of 16, 17. I suffered from depression about four or five years. Um, At that stage, it was called clinical depression. I was treated for it, but I don't think it sort of crippled me um, as a later episode of depression would come to do. But it did give me... um, an insight into mental illness and you know um, and then as i said i went to live overseas and i had an amazing life sort of living what would be i guess my dream life i end, ended up um, living and working in sydney for 15 years and had just the most incredible lifestyle incredible friends bought my own flat did it up um, was living in the heart of the city there was lots going on and just generally loving life um and then probably around the age of 30 i just my my mental health started started suffering and you know i really can't tell you what period it kind of the, the deterioration happened because sometimes it does happen very gradually but um we had uh, i had private healthcare in in australia and so um that enabled me to see a psychiatrist twice a week and get lots of help um so that was what I did um and I was put on medication and you know and things were just getting worse rather than getting better so um alongside this psychiatrist I was also referred to another psychiatrist and I saw them both and then a third psychiatrist who was an expert in um medication and we tried lots of different medication um combinations nothing worked and really I was just on a Slippery slope, but I was fighting really, really hard. I mean, you know, still working, I was still trying to do everything in my power to, you know, fight this depression. Um, and then it, things just got so bad that I was hospitalized. And whilst I was in Australia, I was actually hospitalized twice for depression. And then they um, identified an um, eating disorder as well. Um, it was called at that stage EDnos, which is eating disorder not otherwise specified, which basically meant that I didn't have the traditional um, I didn't have the tr- traditional BMI that you needed for a diagnosis of anorexia. I wasn't restricting in a typical way, um, but I had a, I had disordered eating. Um, So the last time I went into hospital, they recommended ECT, um, electroconvulsive therapy. And I had quite a few sessions of that. And again, nothing worked. So I was then diagnosed with treatment resistance and depression, um, which obviously is a real slam because when you've seen that many very highly qualified professionals and they oh and I also did trials I went to there's a black dog institute I tried all this TMS experimental you know magnetic um I tried a lot of alternative therapies I, I, I basically had by that stage sort of tried everything I could think of um but my life got to a point where I really couldn't cope um I was heavily drugged and um with the ECT it was just not safe for me to be Living by myself. So, my parents came out, sold my apartment, and brought me back to the UK. Um, And for the next two years, I got more ECT. I ended up having 36 sessions of ECT, which did nothing but um, blank certain big chapters of my life from my memory. Um, And I was suicidal every day. And the only thing I could focus on during that period and the only thing I did was um, look forward to my meals. So, I would have the same thing every day be at the same time, be the same quantity. It would be absolutely the same. It was the only thing in my life I could control. So it wasn't about weight. I was, you know, lying on the sofa in tracksuit pants and and you know there was nothing about my appearance um that that drove me to this. It was just that it was the only thing in my life that I could control. And then after two years um I was referred to the Maudsley and they then um said that I had anorexia. And honestly, I've got to say, Hannah, I jumped up and down for joy. Because firstly, I'd accomplished something. (laughs) And all those years without actually feeling like I had any meaning in my life or any control, I'd actually succeeded. And especially after having the diagnosis of EDnos and being in an eating disorder unit with people with anorexia, I'd felt that I'd failed at an eating disorder, to be honest with you. So that led to me being hospitalized for five months. for the anorexia, um, which was the biggest nightmare I can ever describe to anyone. It is like being in the worst jail that you can imagine with other people who are going through torment as well. You are not trusted with anything. You are literally most of the time treated with suspicion and with no kind of respect. And you have to face your food demons in a horrible environment six times a day um and you are locked in completely and utterly locked up um with no access to anything ironically during that 5 months although i managed to i went in there not knowing anyone with anorexia and not knowing anything about the deceitful side of the illness i'd never hidden from my parents um what i was eating i didn't need to hide any foods they didn't force me to eat and then i came out just des- desperate to be discharged so doing all the deceitful things that a lot of people do to influence the scales because that is their main kind of meter for letting you out is your physical weight they say to you that you they're not going to give you any therapy because when you're underweight your brain can't digest it which I completely refute I know it is true in some people's circumstances but honestly if you treat a mental disease with just refeeding and do not deal with the mental side of it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to help. So um, the the way I coped in the hospital was because I'd been isolating so much before I went in and because I was in such a state of anxiety was talking to other people. um, And, um, and, and really I'd sort of built friendships there um, and they really, helped me get through that really really hard time and also because I was so desperate to get off the ward I'd go to the occupational therapy and I hadn't done anything I, I'm a very crazy person and I'd lost all my passion in that with my depression and it took a long time for me to to actually you know the first time I walked out the door of the ward to the art class I couldn't go in and then the second time I just walked around and left and then you know it took me a long time to actually even pick up a pencil but Um, eventually by the end of it my personality had not transformed but I had regained my personality I'd regained my passions and it was incredible it was like some kind of miracle that um, someone who had been treated in such drastic ways for depression actually there were these two things which was connecting with people and doing things that had really just literally brought back my want to live ironically when I was discharged my weight plummeted because all of a sudden there wasn't this strict control around and they hadn't treated the mental side of the eating disorder and I had picked up every trick in the book um and so for the next three months I fell through the you're meant to go after in hospital to day care but the the services around here are dangerously bad and um in three months, I dropped to a far, far, far lower weight than I ever was, ironically, because I actually wanted to live then, but the anorexia had taken hold so much. So since then, and that was 2016, I have been on my recovery journey. Um And it's been a bumpy ride, and it's been full of chapters. Um And um, unfortunately, as I said, the NHS is sadly it's not equipped to cope for the really complicated treatment of people with eating disorders. Um, well, mental health in general, I'd suggest, but um, it's a bit of a postcode lottery, but through a whole number of things, I'm in a really good space right now. I'm not what I deem as, as recovered as I'd like to be. I don't know that there's a hundred percent recovery, as in I will completely never have a worry about any food ever again, but that's not What's important to me. Anyway, listen. I've probably sort of rambled on a bit, so I'll let you get a word in. and <laughs> Oh
0: so, well, it's just um, yeah, so interesting to to hear your story and have you talk about it. So I was just listening and not wanting uh, to interrupt your flow, but I did want to kind of go back to a couple of, of things you said, which I think are really great at highlighting some of the misconceptions that people have, firstly around depression and also about anorexia, and so. You said when you first um, had this period of depression as an adult that you were living like your ideal life and everything was, um, I guess, from the outside, like perfect and amazing. And it really does show that, you know, depression can just kind of happen. It's not necessarily because of something negative in your life that there's not really any rhyme or reason for it. Is it that it can just, just happen? And I think that's a really important thing to highlight for people that, and I, and I sometimes think, and I, I think this from my own experience as well with, and I, um, my depression that I I'd kind of ask myself like, well, why, why am I depressed? Because, you know, everything kind of seems all right. So why, why would I be depressed? And I don't know if you've had that kind of thing of like, well, everything's great. Why am I feeling like this? That kind of questioning.
1: I think that's exactly right Hannah I think actually depression can obviously clinical depression can absolutely happen to people who've gone through you know um, previous trauma and difficult life, life stages but I think that what maybe accentuates the depression is this whole reason that there's nothing for me to be depressed about and I sort of believe that that was part of you know me just giving myself a really hard time of, of you know not understanding um I think that mental illness is very tricky because there is no blood tests that you can go into the doctor and then they can go look you're ill and I think for a long period a lot of people try and cope just thinking that they're you know just a bit sad or and um and that's when unfortunately things can deteriorate because you don't seek help sooner or you're just trying to, to pull yourself together or you might have family and friends who don't understand mental illness and you're embarrassed or shamed about it I mean that's the another thing that you know I've found so liberating is that I guess as opposed to when I first just uh suffered from depression 30 30 odd years ago there's a very different um there's a very different conversation about mental illness now. But, I would say that that when your life looks from the outside like it's all shiny I just put a brave face on it in fact I do remember mum and dad they they were staying out still working I was working from home in Sydney and I was a recruitment consultant and so most of the day I wouldn't um you know, I wouldn't be sort of working necessarily but the phone would ring, my mobile would ring and I'd just be catatonic all day and then my phone would ring and all of a sudden you would not have known. I was shiny, bright, put together on the phone, nothing you would not have been able to tell. And I think for a lot of people, if they haven't had this obvious trauma or something happen in their life but they are suffering from something like depression, it becomes harder and harder to acknowledge it, especially to yourself and to other people. Mm. So. And that, I guess, kind
0: of putting on that mask to the outside world of everything being fine it's so draining, isn't it? And I, I remember being in a period of depression and I was, I was working, so I was having to be reasonably social at work, although uh, actually talking to people after that period, after I kind of got through that episode, I'd just been like a robot, <laughs> just turning up. I thought I was doing a good job in the office. But I spent so much time sleeping. I would get get back, and I would just have to sleep because I was so drained from that effort of being on in the uh, in the office. Mm-hmm. But then the other one that I wanted to talk about, the other kind of misconception, was about the um, the eating disorder. So the EDNOS to start with, and anorexia. And and you said it wasn't about weight for you to start with. It was. It sounded like a bit about mm-hmm. that control that the rest of your life a bit out of control and you and with the depression and and I think that's a misconception about eating disorders that they're always about weight as the focal point and um and that's not the case either
1: I think a lot of eating disorders maybe start like that um I know that most of my life I was pretty unhappy with my body but you know I didn't have disordered eating at all I think I had what. Probably a lot of women, and I'll include men in this is you know society's pressure to look good. Sydney is a very outdoorsy, very fit city um beach city um but no, certainly when it became very serious, and bearing in mind this was you know I was coming up to forty at this point, and most of my friends you know they've had kids they're you know I'm not sort of going out clubbing and need to look like, you know, glam or anything. Um and I think, you know, that's probably the other the other thing that I want to sort of put across to anyone is it can happen to anyone at any age, any sex, any listen. But um no, it's 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 often a common theme even with um adolescents and young women that it's about control. It really is. I mean time and time again there's actually no one I've met um with an eating disorder that it's not about control and certainly it's quite pertinent in these times of corona that the eating disorder uh, helpline services are going through the roof because the more control that is taken away from us in our lives the more we want to just center in on what we can control and and one thing if you think about suffragettes that they they, you know if you think about prisoners starvation diets it's a way of protesting it's also a self-harming thing but it's it's predominantly about control. And I always know that um, when I'm feeling vulnerable is when I'm losing control of other things in my life and my thoughts just go back to my comfort behaviours and things like that. So, um, I mean, for example, the, one of the things that I haven't spoken about yet is that So I've said how how great I think I'm doing in my recovery, although it's taking me years and years and years and it's very frustratingly slow and it's very, it is, you know, having to go into battle every single day um, is that I got this mystery fatigue 18 months ago and it means that it knocks me for six about eight times a day um so that has really really impacted my ability to do anything and certainly to go out get a job get a normal life move out of my parents house all this of thing and the, the control that that takes from me I've had to work extremely hard to not let it manifest itself in hindering my my anorexia recovery um but yeah no control is is very dominant in most people that suffer from eating disorders
0: mm. Uh, it's interesting. I was doing a bit of um, research earlier because I'm going to do a, a talk on helping maintain your mental health at the moment. And one of the things that was suggested when I was looking on Mind and um, websites like that was about focusing on the things you can control rather than things that you can't. And and I guess for a lot of people, maybe that's some fine advice. There's, there's not really a, an issue to that. But for some people, if they um, particularly if they have had distorted eating in the past, um, or there's that potential that that focus on control becomes around something like food, and then has a negative impact. So, and it's and it's interesting because when I read it, I didn't think, oh, well, there's, maybe this is dangerous advice in some ways. I just thought, oh yeah, that that makes sense. But actually, I'm I'm thinking of it in a new light now. Actually, that yeah. focusing on what you're, you
1: can control could yeah i think to, to be honest with you i've done so much um work i know what i need in my life i need a sense of productivity i need a sense of satisfaction and i need i'm an organized person i'm a little bit of a perfectionist now what some schools of thought in terms of dealing with anorexia is you should shun all that and you know those are bad qualities and they've made you an anorexic which oh, oh, no one should ever be called an anorexic. It's not who you are. It's a disease you suffer from. But um I now know that actually all those are really positive things. My determination, my ability to actually like commit to something, my, you know, all these things that made me a successful anorex person with anorexia is actually, if used for good instead of evil, are really positive things. And I think, you know, when we're talking about control, it's... It's not just what you can control, but what you choose to control. So, you know, for me now I go, right, okay, well, I might not, um, you know, I'm living in my parents' house, they're over 70, we're all in lockdown and I might be in lockdown for, you know, who knows, another year if if we have to wait for a vaccine, whatever. What can I do to make this a a place where I feel like I have an element of control? rather than fall back on unhealthy control techniques so it's 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 challenging i mean i kind of feel like i'm in a bit of a storm of you know all angles at the moment but luckily i'm in a headspace now where i've coped with so many kind of side blows that i i'm very flexible and go okay well you know um this was the plan okay now let's look at a plan b let's look at a plan c and and really you know it's about identifying that um the disorder is not something that is an evil part of you. It's it's really just something that has really come out of a need that you need to be met. And if you can find a healthy and good way of meeting those needs, then the the, the those behaviors and those cravings and those all those things will just fall by the wayside. And um, I guess that's why. Right now, I talk to a lot of people who are recovered and, you know, work is something that they really get their teeth into or this or that. And, you know, find your passion, find something that, you know, so you're not thinking about food for every daylight hour. So you're not obsessing about this. Um, So it's really, really important to sort of separate, um, you know, the the illness from the traits that may have made you more susceptible to the illness. Mm.
0: I really liked when you said there about that choice of what you can control and and I suppose it's that behavioral thing isn't it That we get into these habits these patterns of behavior that we've had before that at some point served us with like you said with some need that we had and sometimes we get into unhealthy patterns that help us cope so like addiction or something like that that we we need something to help us cope and that's what we pick up and And then if we're not doing that mental work like you said and and thinking about healthier choices and changing habits which is difficult to do i don't want to make it sound like it's too breezy but then we default back to that pattern that we had we default back into you know whatever it is absolutely
1: and and i think as well that and this is not just applicable i think to people with suffering from mental illnesses but i think you know this is quite a good time for people to sort of look at their lives and see what's What's, what's previously maybe worked for them really well um, but is no longer serving them. I mean, you know, we all go through different chapters and our priorities change, and our values change and I think there's quite a lot of habits that we sort of do just because we've always done them and one of the things, you know, this sort of eight years of being ill has given me a real opportunity to look at my priorities, to to examine what I want out of life and, and actually to be flexible and kind of open-minded about how to achieve those things. So you know, I know that, you know, I've actually had a luxury, you know, I've been really grateful to my parents that, you know, I've got a roof over my head and I haven't been forced out to work too early for, so that I don't really, really knock this on the heads, um, you know, in terms of recovery before I go out too soon. Um, but I think a lot of people maybe are using this time, maybe, although a lot shorter than that, to to actually sort of say, well, do you know what, um, even though I was doing all this all my life, you know, maybe I'd like to try this, or you know. And I think as we grow older, and you know, we we, we do kind of our taste change and things like that. It's it's quite a, a nice thing to to experiment. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of an adventurer, a bit of an explorer, so I like new things. But I think even even people who who kind of really like the same, 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 I think a bit of variety or to change things up is maybe never never a bad thing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I mean I definitely have been using this as a bit of reflective time to actually think about what are the things that really matter to me all the things that I really want to achieve now that I've got a bit of a break from them what what are the things that really matter and I think it's a good thing to just do periodically anyway to just kind of revisit and
1: yeah check in with yourself absolutely and I, I think the other thing that I've I found is that no one's path is the same um I've had so many people who have said, this has worked for me, this has worked for me. And, you know, and and I've tried lots of different things in my recovery and I am who I am. And that means that my, my recovery tools and and sort of survival kit and coping mechanisms are going to be different from everyone else's. Um, And it is about like, for example, you know, there's obviously a lot at the moment about looking after yourself, Food wise, or you know, exercise wise, and I have to be really careful about those messages. And so, that I'm obviously an extreme example of of not necessarily going on the recommendations for the general population, but I think everyone needs to sort of understand that um, just because something works, someone might say, Do you know what, yoga changed my life, or this or that, you know, and it might do, but if you don't get on with yoga, there'll be something else that that ticks your box. And I, you know, I, I suppose coming from that place where I'd given up all hope of any recovery from depression, um, in fact, my parents took me to see a very famous psychiatrist here who doesn't believe in medication. And she said to me at the time, I think you really need to stop isolating and start doing stuff. And I just looked at her like she'd said, You need to fly to the moon. She was right. I mean, I was forced into hospital to make it happen, but don't give up is what I would honestly, this is just kind of. I'd given up. I, I'd i given up. I, I never, ever, ever would have thought that I would be sitting here five years later and still suffering from various conditions and being so happy and fulfilled. And so, and having a sense of purpose and all those things that I thought I'd lost and um, a passion for things. Um, but sometimes it's not as easy as just going to your GP and then giving you a packet of pills, unfortunately. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that, you know, for the majority of people, there really is not necessarily, as I said, I don't know how how, how recovered in terms of anxiety wise I will get, but certainly what I want to achieve is that I I you know it may come up from time and time in my mind and I just go yeah you know it just goes fleeting through and doesn't impact what I can do and what I want to do and I think that quality of life is lacking for a lot of people with mental illness who just maybe haven't got the resources to see different professionals as I, as I mentioned earlier the NHS unfortunately I, I really don't believe is is well equipped for to dealing with the majority and you know the number of people who suffer from mental illnesses, but I have found huge amounts of resources in blogs, in Facebook groups, in podcasts like yours, um, in a lot of things that um, have given me inspiration and hearing other people's stories and knowing that I 'm not alone made a huge difference. Hearing people who are further down their recovery journey, I think to be honest with you. I think with mental illness, in my experience of mental illness, I have to do the opposite of what my mental illness tells me to do. So when it tells me to isolate, I need to do the opposite. When it tells me to, you know, and I think a lot of people feel that way, um, and it's it's just so important to not feel alone because I can guarantee you that there are so many other people out there who, if they don't, haven't suffered from it themselves, have a just have a level of empathy. And, that, and that's the other thing about stigma. Um, I'm, I'm no longer, I don't say to people, crikey, I suffer from anorexia, but I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not, um, you know, if, I, if I'm going out to a restaurant, I will phone them up and ask them questions about their menu. And just like if I had was in a wheelchair and I needed disabled access. For me, my stage of my recovery is about making things possible for me. And I don't really feel that I need to apologise for being ill. Um, but I know a lot of people who, who don't want to talk about it, who feel shame. And and that's really, it's really hard because I know that there's a lot of deceit. I lied, I cheated, I did things that you wouldn't imagine a 40-year-old mm-hmm. woman would do to try and get away with stuff. Um, but that was the illness, it wasn't me. So why should I be ashamed of it?
0: I think the shame thing is, is something I've been talking about this week and it is so true. And I think also when you said about the stories, it, it is, and that's, I think, the whole, um or one of the whole things about the podcast is sharing stories because it can give you what, that sense of hope if you are feeling completely hopeless of hearing someone's story and hearing bits similar to your own and going, well, if they got through it, then maybe I can. And, and I also think the reminder that you gave that just because something worked for you doesn't mean it will work for someone else is really important and that's no. something that we're big on here is this kind of toolbox approach and we'll get to some tips later on but i i'm really big on that because it's. i don't think there's a one-size-fits-all process so when we give people suggestions on the podcast it's very much a try them for yourself they might work they might not mm-hmm. but here's some ideas because i think when you're feeling that sense of despair that everything feels hopeless just coming up with ideas can be difficult and if someone says well hey, you could try these at least you've got a starting point have you it's like well they didn't work or,
1: Absolutely. this one did but yeah i think it's it's like anything in life you know it's um one one size doesn't fit yeah. all no thank you so much for being so open with your story because yeah
0: it is something that Um, yeah I was saying with the shame and the stigma and I don't know if you found this this is something that I've observed in myself because I didn't used to really talk about my depression or anxiety that much and then I started because of something that I cared really deeply about and I wanted to help other people going through it and so I got into coaching and started the podcast and the more I talk about it the easier it is and now I'm just like I had a, a, a business uh, session yesterday, business development, and I was just saying, this is my focus. And I had that experience as well. And it's almost, not to be blasé about it, but I, I think actually as I've stepped into it and the power of sharing my story, that shame's kind of gone a little bit because it's it's just got easier the more I've talked about it. And I wonder if you found the same as the more you talk
1: about your experience. Yeah, I think um, it's almost like desensitisation. Mm. Um So with a lot of fear foods for me, for example, I will need to do it a number of times. Like, and I can't even tell you because they vary, but, you know, it's the same about talking about, uh, it's very difficult because actually a lot of people looked at me and maybe still do look at me and think I look ill. So it's 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 almost, I remember almost a fear of putting on weight that people would not see the illness and I'd have to tell them the illness. Because um, obviously most mental illnesses you can't see by looking at someone. And it was just this weird thing about another reason I didn't want to put on weight was because my mind was not recovered yet. And so people might see a healthy body and think I was well and that's in fact one of the biggest trigger things you can say to anyone with an eating disorder is you're looking well honestly I mean the the, the first few times uh, for a long time I'd run out of the room crying people couldn't understand it but it in our minds that means you've put on weight and it's a really triggering thing and um it's yeah, such a weird it's meant- I know is the the, illog- the illogical nature I often will be thinking to myself this is so illogical. It, it, you know, a lot of a lot of things around eating disorders are completely balmy. But you know, I I know I'm an intelligent person, but you know, I certainly people sort of say to me, oh, you can go. I backpacked in Cuba a couple of years ago um, on my own for four weeks. And they go, gosh, you can do that, and you're amazing. You, you know, you're so brave. And I said, yeah, take me into a Preta and you'll see me freak out, though. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Um, it, it's 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 for me talking about. I just it's it, I just I I don't want it. Became very important that I was comfortable about talking about it, um, and I think it takes the power away somewhat Um, certainly Mm. I I know we talked earlier about putting a brave face on things and I think that if you are lucky enough to have people around you who you feel comfortable enough to share it with then you shouldn't have to be putting that brave face on when you don't need to when you don't need to Um, that's not to say that you need to give in and sort of not um, I kind of withdraw into yourself. I'm not trying to say that, but if you can speak when you need to and be who, where you are, then I think that's really powerful for recovery. Um, and certainly I think that basically it helps people to understand where you're at. And there are always going to be people who don't understand mental illness and, and they might have the best will in the world, but it's just so far from what they've experienced. They can't possibly... And there are going to be people who don't want to understand. And I've sort of learned, I've had different reactions from people when I've talked about it. Some have been really shocking. Um, but to be honest with you, people who I don't care about or who are strangers, if they react really weirdly to me, like a lot of people think it's a, you know, I'm trying to be a size, you know, like they think it's all about vanity and this and that. And, uh, you know, if, that, if that's what, their opinion is and they don't want to listen to what the real story is then I don't really want them in my life anyway so you know but um but I think a lot of people are fascinated to learn more about it and especially I think it's becoming more and more prevalent there's a lot of people that I know who've got daughters who are really really conscious that they pick up on signs and I think with social media and I think with society unfortunately it's it's on the rise, so
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say it's such a weird thing about our society, anyway, isn't it? To be like, "Oh, you look well," or "You put on weight," or "You've lost weight." Like, it's such a weird thing to comment on someone's someone's appearance. I don't know. It's just a strange thing, isn't it, <laughs> to pick up on it? It
1: it it's. I would be interested if you think this, Hannah, your experience of. Um, I when I came out of hospital after that five months, it was January. It was January the fifth. Big prime time diet season. I mean, you know, every single every single uh, thing I watched on TV, every magazine I opened, it was all New Year diet, New Year that, it was all everywhere. And I had to, at that stage, I had to protect myself from it. And I literally could not open anything. I don't think anybody realizes quite how obsessed with food and diet everyone is, unless you're in a position that, you know, you are. I literally, you know... It's. I it, mean, it, 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 some people say it like a, an addiction. Unfortunately, it's not because you have to. You have to eat. Mm. It's not something that you can go cold turkey on. Um, and it, obviously, it's a really social thing. I mean, it, you know, I can't do a lot of things I'd like to do in life yet because I don't have that kind of relaxed nature around. Though, right? Let's go and grab a picnic or go to a barbecue mm. or, you know, and so many social celebrations or whatever are around food christmas you know christmas me you know birthdays cake this that honestly it's it's very 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 difficult but also it gives me a real motivation mm-hmm. because i can't say right well you know i'm as better as i think i'll be because until i do get to be relaxed around those sort of things i'm not going to have the things i want out of life i'm not going to have that connection with the people i'm not going to Enjoy traveling and eating off street markets, and so for me, it's sort of a, been a motivating factor as well as a problematic challenge. Mm. Um, that food is yeah. literally involved in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if that if that kind of helps you have
0: that focal point of of where you want to get to with um with your recovery.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that I'm really lucky in terms of I had this great life before I got ill. And I enjoyed life and I knew what I'm, I'm fighting for and I enjoyed food. I lo- I've always loved food. Oh, this is another myth. People with anorexia don't like food. We love food. We actually love it too much and it becomes a fear to us that we will lose control. So mm. that's, that's the element of control mm. that comes back in. We have this big fear that it's either, you know, zero, zero miles an hour or a hundred miles an hour. And we don't think we can, you know, kind of moderate ourselves. So, um, I loved food, always loved food and um I meet a lot of people, I met a lot of people in treatment who'd been ill from the ages of eleven or twelve and have never enjoyed a mouthful of food in their life and I just thought, how sad is that? But also that they've not lived life and they really honestly it has been up and down but fairly torturous recovery journey and I think most for most people it's fairly torturous as well. And if you don't know what you're fighting for and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's really hard to keep motivated. So I really feel for younger people that are suffering from it and their parents that it's it's, it's unless you know, you've got these life goals that you're really, really fixed on, it's very it's a lot harder, I think, to to to, to kind of just keep going because you can't imagine what life is like without being ill. Mm.
0: And I guess having that that sense of purpose, like you said, like the life goal, ha- yeah. helps with that. And I really like the thing you said when you um said about not being as recovered as you like to be or something, But you you added the word yet in, and I love that that yeah. kind of power of yet, which is that kind of idea like that
1: you'll get there. It's it's that kind of yeah yeah. I don't know where the finish line is. Um, I one of the things that I didn't ever get the opportunity to do in treatment and I think that they need to really do is I never met anyone who'd, who'd recovered so it's almost like you're going to you've been diagnosed with cancer and they they say no we can't prove any evidence of someone who survived cancer but we're going to put you through this hell anyway um and you know then they brought in one person and, the, and she said oh yes I managed to have a cupcake a week that was that's recovery and I was like that's not recovery you know um, I know for a lot of people um, they just they just their recovery is staying out of hospital but they don't have a quality of life so they might still be ill they might still be literally you know kind of in their prison of their illness but they that's that's recovered because they're not in hospital um so for me as I said my 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 aim for my recovery is that it enables me to to pursue my goals without restricting me, but I don't think I'll ever walk into a restaurant and look at a menu and it not fleetingly go through my mind. You know what I feel more and more, more or less comfortable about doesn't mean to say I will pay any attention to it. I, you know, I just think it is is something that I try and be quite realistic. I don't see that there's a point in me aiming for something that. You know, in my mind, we all have things that we live with in life um, that we have to accept. And it might be possible for me to be totally free of the anxiety around food, but it might not be. So, you know, for me, it's really important that I I sort of am measured in that and also... I don't want to be, um, you know, this fatigue is my main issue at the moment, but you know, certainly, as I said, I went backpacking around Cuba. I took 25 kilos of food with me, by the way, my whole suitcase was like food <laughs> because I didn't know what I was going to be. But my, my, my whole goal is like, I'm not going to let myself have to get to a certain level of recovery to stop me doing the things that I want to do now. Um, because, you know, it's a hard, long journey and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So the more I do, the more incentivized and the more, it's almost like this, you know, rolling stone that, the, the, you know, and the more comfortable I feel, you know, every time I eat out, the next time I feel a little bit more comfortable the next time. and um, And I think for a lot of people, the fear factor just stops them from taking that first step. Or they want to get it right perfectly first time. You know, I certainly, I go out sometimes and have what I would call a, a very challenging meal and I come away and go, oh no, you know, I failed. No, I didn't fail. It was just a challenging meal. Now, you know, it, it's, you know, it was a learning thing or it's a, I, I really don't believe in, in failure because if the, the only failure for me would have been not attempting. So, um Uh, you know i just i guess i'm quite kind of pragmatist in terms of trying to trying to set achievable goals and also just trying to be flexible around those goals and go look well you know this corona's happened now okay so i was hoping to go to you know this level of health within but i can't see my nurse i can't see so you know i think my my attitude is really like well you know, I can do what I can do. And it is, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Serenity Prayer, but although I'm not religious, I do wholly believe in that is, is, you know, the the courage to uh the courage to change the things to that I can change, the knowledge to know the difference and the serenity to accept. I've got it the wrong way around, you know. <laughs> the Serenity to but to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference.
0: I mean, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference between the two. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good reminder. And, um, yeah. And I think although the actual, the, the role that was written says God grant me, I mean, you could change that with universe or just take that it out. Just, you know, I, I have the serenity to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I have some set questions I ask everyone and I would love to hear your thoughts on these. Yep. So
1: my first question is what boosts your mood? What gives you joy in your life? Right now, comedy, um, comedy and friends, but I've got to say that, um, you know, I maybe I only speak to a friend once a day. So kind of my, my go to is comedy. Uh, whilst I was depressed, I couldn't laugh at anything, didn't find anything funny, didn't see any bright or light or anything. And uh, now I like to surround myself with intelligent comedy, I, I think I'd like to say. There's a lot of amazing comedy podcasts about lockdown at the moment. Um, and it just brings me joy and it helps me get a different perspective on the same situation. Interestingly, a lot of comedians suffer from mental health issues. And it's some of them do definitely talk about it. But um, so that, um, my friends, um, I had a really hard time when I first recovered from depression, finding people where I live. Um, that were like minded. Um, it took a lot of effort for me to meet people that I connected with, but I think during my mental health journey, some friends have formed by the way for different reasons, but I've picked up on some lovely, caring, quality friendships that mean the world to me and that are reciprocal and we value each other and I think that for a lot of my illnesses I've had to be quite selfish because I've had to put myself and my recovery in number one and now I feel in a place where I can give back ironically not now because I'm in lockdown but you know um I am giving back in the ways that I can in terms of trying to support people who are newly in shock from this change of situation i've been kind of homebound or housebound for about 18 months now so i'm well attuned to it you know and i i can now help out people who are adjusting to it so i like giving back i love you know making artwork for people love being creative i love color um you won't be able to see on the podcast but i'm surrounded by in my childhood bedroom but with all my things from all over the world and they're all very very colorful um and color really lights up my life mm-hmm. sunshine being outdoors birds singing um so yeah those are those are my main things amazing and then so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you okay it's really hard because as a staff started off this um this conversation saying I don't have kids I don't have a partner so I guess you know I look at a lot of people friends my age and and they have especially kids and you know that's their kind of meaning life and I don't have a job so I don't have that purpose but I've had to develop um other meanings and I think you know I'm a I love I just love being able to be creative but not necessarily in a typically artistic creative way so um you know I love to design adventures I I love to help people navigate their own adventures and and I find that really meaningful um had as i've said the luxury of a lot of time of self reflection and i really 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 think and hope that other people can benefit from this time that i've invested in 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 myself in in finding out you know or helping them find their own path so that's that's what i really find meaningful um and obviously um, i am now living in the same country as my parents and my brother and his family Um, so I get to share time with them Um, and yeah those are the main things so
0: um, we're all about mental wellness on the podcast and so obviously sometimes like today we will um, talk about mental illness more uh, explicitly but I think mental wellness we've all got a mental world even if we've not had a a period of, of mental illness and so um my two questions are what does mental wellness mean to you? And how
1: do you look after your own mental well being? I think do you know what that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um I I think what you talked about being realistic. Um what is a healthy um mental well being? I think it's being okay. I do see a lot of people who strive to be happy all the time. I don't think that's our natural way of being. I remember being in hospital and my nurse saying to me, do you think that we get up every morning and bounce in here and think, great, you know, no, we, you know, the, the washing washing ups, piling up and this and that. And, and I do think it's about having the ups and downs and being able to ride them, to so appreciate the highs and ride the downs. So it's having, we spoke earlier about that, Kind of toolkit that you have that even if you have a propensity towards mental illness you have got the tools to recognize it early and to to put strategies in place so it doesn't get out of hand and also what we were talking about is reflecting um i think it's really important for everybody to just try and it doesn't have to be uh you know it's funny actually isn't it new year People sort of use this random time to to sort of take stock of what they want to achieve and things like that. But um, you know that could happen any time for us to sort of look back, look at our present, and look forward. And just little changes can make huge differences to people's general mental well-being. Little habits; it doesn't have to be huge time or money investment. And um, I think that I personally think that this is going to be very interesting after corona to see what lessons people have maybe picked up or learnt about their priorities in life and what they want going forward whether it's achievable in the short term medium term or long term um but i would say that most people would like to be able to spend more time with the people they care about and less time at work and earning money and materialism um but I think that that's a really hard thing to achieve in our society to be honest so you know I think mental well-being is just being true to yourself and trying to like not just fit in with what other people expect of you or society expects of you but really just going your own journey and as long as you know that you know you're not harming anyone else it's okay to be different it's okay to not want the same things as everyone else it's all right to lead your own path and 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 kind of I'm not saying that you don't need to take um I I want to have self-esteem inside but I also know that I will always like appreciation from other people so it's not about having this rock solid Self esteem, almost to the point of arrogance, it's about having that sort of blend of inner, you know, just you know, I'm okay with who I am, I'm you know, I'm not perfect, but I am who I am, and I quite like who I am. Um, and and just being yourself, really, and being okay with that.
0: Mm. I was, um, I was smiling at the beginning when you started, and you thought about being okay and about how unrealistic, um always striving for happiness is because I say exactly the same thing and um, I 100% agree with that I think we sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves to be happy all the time and it's just not achievable and I think when I was depressed I don't know if it's the same you. it was just this numb flat level that it was just kind of empty and this kind of numbness and if you were happy all the time it would just be completely flat wouldn't it and you wouldn't appreciate it
1: yeah Um, and i guess just my final thing on mental wellness is the ability to look at silver linings i think that's a big distinguishment for me when i know that my mental health is suffering i can't see any silver linings on anything so for me mental wellness is is about being able to be not colored not looking at things through this filter yeah awesome thank you for sharing it's so my next
0: question. So I always uh, challenge my guests to uh, to describe their mindset. So could you describe your mindset?
1: Well, and it's an interesting time for me right now. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess you know corona has been very difficult um just because of what I've explained earlier in terms of not only um battling uh, recovery from anorexia but the fatigue and now with lockdown um I'm living with my parents who are over 70. And, and that means that, for example, food shopping, I'm, 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 we're self-shielding, so we're not allowed to do food shopping, which with recovery from anorexia is a very tricky thing to release control of, let's just say. Um, and also, I don't know, you know when I'm going to be able to go out and have coffees with people. When other people start doing that, I won't be able to. So... I've had a very interesting few weeks trying to come to terms with all of that. Um, But my minds I mean, it's very interesting um, because I'm thinking a lot about my mindset at the moment with the current challenges that have kind of, in in one way, exacerbated my um, lack of control. And therefore, um, I've experienced in the last few weeks a a sort of resurgence in some of um, the eating disorders nagging um especially with lack of control um with shopping and things like that but also the uncertainty about the future and what it holds for me um in terms of what I can do with my life and how well I'm going to be so i think like everyone at the moment is this period of of really not knowing what the situation is but i guess it's a little bit more complicated for me because of my health in terms of it, when the government turns around and says you know it's safe to do this that and the other it's not necessarily um how um or, or going to sort of free up my life necessarily but i i've learned on my recovery journey so far that actually um i'm really resilient and i always was but i've now really what i've achieved in terms of overcoming massive, massive um situations and challenges so far has really stood me in good stead to face whatever is is my reality in the future. Um, if the fatigue is something that is going to impact me ongoing, then I will find a life that I'm I love within those limitations. Um, and so I'm feeling very very positive. Um, I'm certainly I'm certainly seeing a side of people that i guess i really wanted to see um prior to the corona crisis and and meeting people that have the same kind of value sets as me and that's been something that's been really 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 amazing to come out of such a negative situation and and honestly i do fear for what we're going to go through when the immediate danger's over with the economy and with people's mental health I think it's going to be a massive massive challenge for a huge amount of people but I just have to sort of think about how I can protect myself but also the people I care about and anyone else that I come in contact with because I sort of feel that I've dealt with this kind of situation before I think a lot of people who have had mental health experiences are actually being a lot coping a lot better with this situation than, than a lot of other people ironically um so it's, it's 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 a very interesting time and my mindset right now is is very much just kind of um you know like sliding door moments and the world is changing and you know it's it's good to just kind of have a really open mind and just whatever it comes whatever comes our way just kind of just bend with it you know just you know I've I've sort of learned that I've learned that I can't control (laughs) back to the control thing I can't control so many things but I can make the best and I can choose how I respond to things and that makes the difference for me that empowerment yeah I
0: think that's um really great advice mixed in with um with your mindset as well so thank you for that which leads us nicely onto the next question, which is the adding to the toolbox question. So I always mm-hmm. ask guests to leave between one and three tips um, related to any area of life, really, that you would recommend that people have a go at that are going to have a massive impact. Yeah. So what would your tips yeah. be?
1: My first tip is something that I've been doing ever since I left hospital, and that was five or six years ago now and it's um, I'm a morning person so I do these in the morning but you don't necessarily have to do them in the morning or whenever um I do a few lists a day they don't take me very long they take me five minutes um and the first list is what I achieved the day before and um do you know what it could be as little as doing the washing up or having a shower or anything um I find that if I don't I'm all. I've always got stuff left to do on my to-do list because that's the sort of person I am. I'm always over ambitious, and so I always probably think, "Oh, I didn't get around to doing this," and that I think it's really easy for me to forget how much I did achieve, um, and how much I did get done. So that sets me up for a positive frame of mind. Um, I do a smile list. So anything that kind of just gave me joy the day before. Um, and today it will be the sun is shining, the birds are singing. I got to sit out and have my lunch in the garden speaking to you. So there'll be lots of things on my um, smile list tomorrow. Um, and my final one is my gratitude list. Um, and I just, yeah, I'd, even on my darkest days, even on the days then I have felt like everything has gone wrong, honestly. I've sat down the next morning and it helps it helps me that I've slept on it, to be honest, because I think I've got more space to reflect. Um, and I, I feel in a more positive frame of mind and I look back at the day before and I actually can, even on the darkest days, there are stuff on all of those lists and, um, it just helps me start a clean page. And that's the other thing. Every day for me is a new day and, um, if, if if you're able to sort of try and think what's past is past, I'm not going to regret things. They're done, they're done. I can do things if I think I need to change things, I can do it from now on in. Um, so, yeah, that my list is my first thing. Um, and secondly, and I guess this is for anyone, whether they've got a physical or mental health issue, is don't give up on finding treatment or a way of improving it. Um, as you probably heard from my story, I was told by numerous professionals and I'm being told at the moment with my fatigue that there aren't any answers and um there's no cause, there's no treatment, there's no this. Um I have learnt um that, you know, even if there's not hundred percent full recovery, there are definitely, definitely ways out there, people out there who can help you, and there are so many different things you can try. Um, and some of them won't even make any sense to you. You'll think, Oh, it sounds like absolute rubbish, but you just never know. Just give things a try and, um maybe some of those or all of them will, will, will work. So yeah, just never, never give up. Um, and I know that's really hard when you're suffering from depression, by the way, because the last thing you have any motivation to do is to do any of those things. Um, so I guess the third thing would be try and have people around you who will support you in doing that when you can't. So I know that's really hard for a lot of people, but things like Facebook groups, um, you know, even if you don't physically know them, there's a lot of communities out there who are, who will understand where you're at and will be able to support you maybe when you feel very alone and, um, and cheer you up and a good laugh. That's what I've, I, th- I honestly think that a good laugh solves a lot of things sometimes. So, um, yeah, try and try and not focus on all the serious stuff all the time. Try and, you know, have joy, which I know, Hannah, you're very much oh, yeah. um, <laughs> an advocate of.
0: Yes, I love talking about joy. Uh, You've got a sneaky fourth one in there, because it's so joy focused oh, and laughter focused. I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you so much for those. They're great. And I uh, definitely echoed the the lists, the gratitude list of me. I do. And I have one, I guess it's similar to, I don't know, maybe your smile list or the, the good things list. I have um, one of those, which is um, I do the gratitude in the morning and in the evening, the kind of three good things that happen that day. And I think that's a really nice start and end of the day. And I also have, like you, the clean slate policy. I try and have fresh start every day and so I'd absolutely echo that, I think that's really good to just, I think it's taking a step away from that guilt and that shame thing, because if you're not carrying extra baggage into the next day, obviously we've all got a lot that we just carry around anyway, but trying to let some of it go and just, you know, looking on the day with fresh eyes, I think is really powerful, so thank you for those. So usually at this point, um, I'd ask our guests, um if they want to share their social media where people can connect with them online i'm not sure if that's something that you want to do um but... yeah
1: um well we will we were just uh talking probably offline about um i'm not very technical so um <laughs> i don't have a lot of um and actually to be honest with you uh, a lot of time i found that distancing myself from certain social media has been um easier for me in my recovery so i'm not i haven't really got a presence online um social media um but i you know I am on facebook and um if if anyone feels like they they would like to connect with me it's Tory Ames, um and yeah but um i yeah i i i guess you know at this at, 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 at I feel just overwhelmed with social <laughs> like all the social media avenues I sound like i'm sixty five not forty five. <laughs> um yeah no, but um yeah, so they're just on yeah. Facebook, really.
0: Yeah, I mean there is so much at the moment, and uh, hopefully when you're listening back to this, everyone, it'll be really smooth. But we've had some technical glitches along the way to record this because I guess everyone. <laughs> everyone is online at the moment and my uh, my internet has not been able to handle it which is the first time it's happened i didn't know i
1: didn't know what zoom was six weeks ago
0: (laughs) (laughs) it really shows how adaptable we are isn't it that that we we've um adjusted to this but thank you so much tori for, for coming on for being so open and sharing your experiences with people which um hopefully anyone who's going through something similar will really resonate with. And if anyone's listening who is going through something similar or, you know, someone who, um, who would really benefit from, from hearing this episode, then please do share, um, this episode with them. And thank you, Tori, for your patience <laughs> with my technical issues today.
1: Well, Hannah, you, you, you dealt with the technical issues far better than I would be known to. Can I really thank you for the opportunity to, to speak to you? Um, and um, uh, yeah if anyone um, out there either suspects that they have an eating disorder or knows someone that they are there is the national eating disorder charity beat um, and there are a few other localized services as well that I'm sure Beat can put you in contact with um, if you do um, have any concerns either about your own health or, or those the people you care about mm.
0: and we will absolutely in the show notes Put the link to Beep's website so people can find it easily from there. Brilliant! Thank you so much, right. Tori. So thank you again to Tori for joining us and for sharing with us. I'm just going to take a moment and think about what I am going to do for my well-being after this. Thinking about how your day is going what are you going to do for your well-being today? And listening to this may have been the first the first step. Awesome. Um, I personally love to listen to podcasts when I'm on the road, when I'm driving. Um, unless I'm super tired, then I need to have a little singing song, sing along to music. Um, but maybe you go out for a walk and listen. Maybe that's your way of consuming. And maybe this has been your moment for yourself for today. But if not, then, you know, think about what you're going to do for yourself today. Nurturing yourself out of love for yourself, because I think it is so necessary just to take a few moments for ourselves. And I, the beginning of uh, last week, I had, beginning of the week, middle of the week, I had a gift gift arrive in the post, a lush bath bomb, one of my favorite things uh from my dear friends. Um and I think this evening that is what I'm gonna do. I am going to have a bath with my bath bomb, read, chill out. Um that's me. That's my little moment of ha ah. um <laughs> um have a think for yourself and it could look completely different for, for you but think about what you are going to do for your wellbeing today. It could be just 30 seconds. It could be a couple of hours. Um, My bath is going to be, I know, somewhere in the middle probably. Um, But yeah, just check in and think about what you are going to do for your wellbeing today. And with that, that is everything for today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please do rate, review and subscribe means it's just going to magically appear wherever you listen to your podcast each week, which is super easy if you are a little bit lazy at times like I am. Um, And rating review really does help the podcast to grow so that we can reach more people and support more people with their mental well being, which is kind of our jam here. That's what (laughs) what we're all about. And if there is anyone that you think would really enjoy the conversation we've had today, please do consider sharing the episode with them, whether that is sending it to them or you could tag it in your Instagram stories, tag us, we'll repost it. Uh, So we are at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching um, and we'll share. It's a good thing there's not a video because I'm making some weird hand gestures as I Mm -hmm. do this for some reason. (laughs) But yeah, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with some more. Awesome conversations, and remember, if you do want to support the podcast, uh, support us. We are always, always keen to hear what you think of the show. Any suggestions you have, and you can also send us a coffee via Kofi. Uh, the link is in our Instagram at Psyche Coaching. In our milkshake, there. um I guess you could send us milkshake um, <laughs> as well, or whatever beverage. Uh, probably it would go on coffee, if I'm completely honest i probably should say tea shouldn't i but that would be dishonest it probably would be coffee and most of my podcasting brought to you by coffee so with all that take care of yourself and i will speak to you monday bye